Hey, this is Dino. I'm the pastor of Revolution Church. Thank you for downloading this podcast. We hope this message is encouraging to you and will help you to discover God's unchanging love. For more information, visit our website at therevolutionchurch.com. Enjoy the message. Hey, what's up, Revolution? God bless you guys. Thank you guys for joining us today. It's an honor and a privilege to always have you worship God with us, where we are discovering God's unchanging love. That is the vision, the mission of our church is to help people understand how much God really loves them. If you question that, stick around. And I I really believe that the Lord will make his love real to you today. We're in a new series today called Reclaim. Somebody might put that in the chat, Reclaim. Talking about rediscovering things that have been lost in our life. And I just love this. And I think that there's an awakening taking place in a lot of us. And we're rediscovering a few things. And we said last time, culture is trying to redefine things, trying to change some things around. And here's the deal. As I've really thought about this uh, more and more, I think there's a lot of great changes that are happening in the world today. I really do. I think that, that like I said last time, um, we're, we're, the changes that we're experiencing with uh, the appreciation of different races and different ethnicities and our cultures and, and the different traditions that we have, it's, it's front and center right now. And I think that is really awesome. And, and I think those are some things that, that we should be uh, excited about. I think I think some things that are changing in the Detroit area. Come on, somebody. You guys know, got a whole change of the Detroit leadership team up over there. They're hoping to change the culture, right? Going from a losing culture to a winning one. Come on. You guys know I'm a diehard, I'm a diehard Lions fan. Also, you know, one of the things I was thinking about too was the, the changes that we're experiencing in 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 media as it relates to body shapes and sizes and things like that. We've come out of the era where everybody has to look chiseled perfectly, right? And and I'm really grateful for that. You know, we we are much more appreciative of different body types and different body styles. And I, I'm, I'm much more appreciative that 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 you know I'm having a tough time going from abs and and, and, and my flabs are really okay right now. Come on, somebody, okay? So there's a there's a there's a there's culture has made some positive changes in, in, in some of these directions. But, but right here on the other side, too, I think a lot of you would agree with me that culture has, has, is pushing some things that aren't so good. And, you know, we think about what's happening with the defund the police movement. And a lot of us are concerned about that. And culture is really pushing for that. Culture is really pushing for a vaccine passport. And a lot of us are just like, hey, you know, I'm not excited about that. And some of us are, some of us don't understand the Equality Act that culture is trying to push. The Equality HR5, which I hope a lot of you guys are familiar with. I mean, this is one thing in our country that could really change the trajectory of our nation forever. I would encourage you to dig down deep into HR5 and the changes, the sweeping changes that that could result in a lot of our Christian communities. You know, and I heard somebody say, you know, earlier uh, uh, yesterday, they said, you know what, if, if, if we don't stand up, we're just going to get plowed over. And this series, Reclaim, is about, it's about standing up. It's about reclaiming a few things that are lost. It's not, it's not about going to war with people. It's not about uh, being at odds with people, but it's, it's, it's digging deep on the inside and saying, how do I really feel about some of these changes? How do I really feel about my culture? How do I really feel about the things that I believe in? And I hope that I can stir you up in this series, that I can get you to reclaim a few things about your belief system, reclaim a few things about the things that you feel like standing up in. You know, last week we talked about reclaiming the place of the Word of God, the place that God's Word should be in our life. And I encourage you to go back and listen to that message, okay? And today, I want to talk to you about reclaiming the biblical meaning of marriage, Culture is trying to redefine the biblical meaning of marriage. And there's pressure on our society to destroy the nuclear family unit. 
And, and I know a lot of you guys have heard this. So we're talking about what is the nuclear family unit? What is biblical marriage? We're going to talk about all that here today. But I, as I started to think about this, why would somebody want to destroy the nuclear family unit? All right. It has to be because somehow it didn't work for somebody. Somehow somebody got hurt. Somebody got bruised. Somebody got left behind. And as a result, because of hurt and because of maybe abuse even, somebody thought that they just want to start a new movement. Well, listen, I respect people that want to, to start things and I respect people's opinions, but here's what I want us to do in this message today. I want us to understand what biblical marriage really is. And maybe, just maybe, you and I are going to reclaim a few things. Maybe we can be equipped today to stand up in the midst of this cultural wave and say, this is what we believe marriage is supposed to be. Now, look, I want you to stay with me. Don't tune out. If you're married, I really think the things we're going to talk about today are going to be a blessing. If you're not married, I still think the things we're going to talk about are going to be enlightening and may even prepare you for the things that are coming in your own life. So don't tune out. I just believe that there's going to be some really cool things we're going to discover in this message and in our time together. All right. So before we get into this, come on, would you join me in a word of prayer? We're going to say a lot today. I hope you get your writing utensils out. I hope you get your, your Bible reading devices out because we're going to read a lot of scripture. I want you to take a lot of notes because I just believe this message today is going to be very foundational to the things that we're going to be facing in the days to come. All right, so let's pray and let's get into this together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you and praise you for the, for the power of your word. Father, I'm humbled and I am so honored to be able to do this. I'm so honored every time. I get to come in here and minister the Word of God. I thank you for my friends. I thank you for those who are listening today. I ask, Father, that there just be revelation knowledge that would go forth. And Father, even for those that might watch it and might stand starkly uh, 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 opposed to the things that I'm going to say, I pray, Holy Spirit, that there would be a softening. I pray that there would be illumination and that light would go forth today, maybe like never before. And so, Lord, we just thank you. I believe today that we receive these promises as we minister this word. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. All right. So today, we're going to talk about the biblical meaning of marriage. All right. And so here's the deal. I am not interested in cultural relevance. I'm really interested in biblical relevance, and I think a lot of you are too. That's why I think that this is going to be very interesting for the things that we're going to find out today. And here's the number one point I want you to get, okay? And write this down. Marriage is God's idea. It started in the heart of God. It always has been in the heart of God. And listen, it always will be in the heart of God. All right, go, go with me into your Bibles. Come on, Genesis chapter 2. Verse 18, and let's read this. I'm going to read it slow. I'm going to take our time here because there's some truth just in this one scripture that lays the absolute foundation about how marriage was God's idea. All right, so look at this. Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, now God said this, God is speaking. It is not good for the man to be alone. Now, this is interesting. Because if you follow the account of Genesis, everything God created, he said, was, come on, good. Light was good. The water was good. The animals was good. The grass was good. Everything that he created, he said, was good. Yet right here, in, in the middle of God's creation, in the middle of the beginning of this thing, he says, it's not good for the man to be alone. What's happening here? This word alone literally means he was lonely. Something was missing. Here's Adam. He's in the garden and he's naming the plants and the animals and, he, and he's hanging out with furry animals, reptile animals, fishy animals, smelly animals, right? And, the, and, and he's by himself. And this word alone means he was lonely. Here's the first thing I want you to get. Uh, it, was, it was in God's mind for you and I to be in relationship. It was God's idea that we wouldn't be alone. It was God's idea that it takes, it takes relationships to solve loneliness. 
And that's what was happening over here. Adam was lonely. And it says here, and God said, it's not good for the man to be lonely. So therefore, I will make a helper suitable for him. This is awesome. A helper that's suitable for him. I think this is so awesome. The, the word suitable that's, that's, that's used here. Think about this. It's something, a helper, God was going to create a helper that was going to suit Adam well. And a suit, when, when a suit is worn that's well, that suit not only wears well on somebody, okay, but the person wearing it also receives something out of it. So there was something about this suit that God was going to do, a suit that was going to suit him and a suit that was going to suit her. That's what the word suitable means. And so God was going to do something here that was going to be suitable, something where each was going to add value to each other just in the way that they were created. So in this, God was going to solve the lonely problem. God was going to create the suitable situation. And it was so awesome. And, and actually, the, the, this, this is where I want you to see, this is where the beginning of attraction comes because God makes them suitable for each other and also desirable for each other. When something suits you well, right, you desire it, right? And so that's what happens over here. This is where the beginning of attraction starts. But here's what I want you to see. This word helper, I will make a helper for him. This is awesome. You guys have to get this, okay? Because you would think that, you know, Adam needed help. He needed help in the garden, naming the animals. He needed help, you know, you know, Tending the yard. He needed help taking out the trash, okay? And he, he, so men need help, okay? All the men out there, you know what I'm talking about. We need help, okay? But this word help doesn't mean somebody who assists. It actually means this. You should write this down. It actually means one who helps to see. One who helps to see something. If you study this in the Hebrew, so what, so what God was saying, I'm going to make a helper, somebody who's going to help him see things. Evidently, Adam was having a hard time seeing some things. And so God, as part of this process of somebody being suitable, he creates somebody to help him to see. Isn't this incredible? Ladies, you cannot get frustrated if your man can't see things. Why? He's wired not to see things. Come on, somebody. And you are wired to see things. This is God's design. So you can't get frustrated because he doesn't see things right away. And dudes, you can't get frustrated because she, she sees things so fast and she sees things in advance and it can almost come across like it's nagging. But listen, I'm going to tell you something. This is what God designed here. A helper to help him see and a helper in, in this seeing, listen, that they would advance in life together. This was God's idea. Come on, somebody. That's the reason why you guys, listen, God wired her to help you see that you may be driving too fast. I think this is the beginning of the backseat driver right here, okay? God wired her to tell you, I think we're missing the turn, or I think we need to do this, or I think we need to pull over. You know, there's times, there are times, listen, this is how a woman is so wired to help a man see. We'll be driving along, Jeannie will be on the phone, and I will be in the exit lane. I will have my blinker on. I know I'm getting off of this exit. And while I'm in that lane, the blinker on, I'm in the exit lane. She'll still go, this is our exit. She's wired that way. You know, so I've just, through the years, have appreciated that. And, and, <laughs> and likewise, she's had to appreciate when she's asking me to go get something at the grocery store, and she can tell me exactly what aisle it's in, like right at what section of the aisle, even the colors of the different boxes, and I'm and I still got to call her, babe. I can't see it. Okay, she helps me to see. God has wired us this. That's why we can't get frustrated. You can't get frustrated when. You know, I, I, or, or when I say, hey, hey, what are you, what are you hungry for? I don't know. What, you, what are you hungry for? I'll say, hey, I'm hungry for steak. Let's go to Longhorns. Well, I'm not hungry for steak. 
you just got done saying what I the choice was mine. And now all of a sudden, you know, you're saying that my choice isn't good enough. They're wired this way, okay? So don't get aggravated. If you understand that the way she's wired, it'll help you with your frustration. You know, I'll never forget one time I was in a in a board meeting, and actually it was an HOA board meeting where we were trying to buy some land for a church. And so we had to meet with the adjacent uh, HOA to discuss with them the plans for our church, right? And so I'm in this meeting and, you know, and I'm like leading the charge and I'm rolling out our vision, sharing with everybody what we're going to be doing and, and the great benefit that the church is going to be to be in their community and how it's not going to affect their HOA. And everybody on this team is rah-rahing me. And, and the president of the HOA was a female and she was on board just rah-rahing. And so we get in the car driving home. I'm like, man, nailed it, sealed it. Well, my helper... Jeannie, sitting in the car next to me, she says, Dean, I'm telling you, that meeting didn't go as well as you think it went. I'm like, what are you talking about? It was great. We high-fived. Everybody's like, this is going to be a great deal. She literally said, that woman that sat across the table from you, I'm telling you, you better watch her. That's the one that's going to cause you the greatest problems in this situation. I was like, you mean that one that was just like, yeah, this is a great idea and we're, we're all for this and we think this is going to be good for the community? That one? She said, yep, yeah, that one. I'm like, how did you see that? And I didn't believe her. I promise you, I didn't. So I'm, we're driving home bewildered, right? Well, two days later, we literally get a letter from that woman denying our request, saying how... She didn't feel like, you know, our vision was going to add value to the HOA. What she said in the meeting was one thing, and what she wrote to me was something different. But you know something? My helper saw it. They're wired. I'm telling you, God knew that this is what it was going to take for us to be suitable. Isn't this beautiful? Marriage was God's idea. All right, so how did God make this helper? Come on, you're there in Genesis chapter two. Let's go a little further. Genesis chapter two, we're gonna, we're gonna walk right through this slowly. All right, read with me. Verse 21, so the Lord God caused the man to fall asleep into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from that rib, and he brought her to the man. So Adam is a man, and God pulls out of his rib, and he creates a woman, a female, okay? And he brings her to him. This is so interesting. This, this is how God did. We're going back to the creation story, okay? Something so interesting. Scholars would say that man is the epitome of God's creation. And because woman was made from man in this way, scholars would say that because she's doubly refined from the earth, she is even greater than Adam in creation. Isn't that awesome? Here's what I want you to get. There's a beautiful revelation here, okay? While Adam was asleep, while he was resting, God did his greatest work. Isn't this beautiful? While Adam was at rest in his loneliness, in his desire for a helper, while he was resting, God did his greatest creation. Isn't that beautiful? Man, we have to get a hold of this because this is God's mind. Remember, marriage is God's idea, all right? So you have to get a hold of this. So watch what happens here. Then the Lord God made woman from the rib, and he brought it to her, to the man. In verse 23, at last, Adam wakes up. The man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken from man. So I want you to, I want you to be there for a second. You're, you're asleep in a deep sleep, the Bible says. You're in a rested place. And, and, and while you're resting, God is working on something. Oh, this is a good word right over here. 
Man, I'm telling you, if you are worried and you're full of doubt, while you are at rest in God, I'm telling you, God is working things out like he did right over here. But he wakes up. Adam wakes up out of this deep sleep. And he sees this creation that's laying next to him. And you know, I've done the same thing. I went, whoa, man, come on, somebody. <laughs> I mean, this one, this one isn't furry. You know, this one isn't, you know, reptile-y. This one doesn't smell like a fish. This one is beautiful. Whoa, man, come on. This is what's happening over here. And this is so beautiful. You know what, actually, the word... The word, the Greek word, or the Hebrew word for woman, actually is ishish, ishish. So the Greek, the Hebrew word for man is ish. And so when Adam saw her, he called her ishish, woman, ishish. And I could almost, see, I could almost just see Adam looking at her, and he went ishish. You know when he wakes up. And I could, you know, this is a better looking man, right? And I could almost hear him say ishish. Ishish for me? <laughs> Come on. Ishish okay if I touch her? <laughs> uh, okay. Is this beautiful or what? This was God's creation here. All right. Now watch this. Watch this. This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She'll be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. This is God's biblical meaning of marriage. A man is joined to his wife and they are united as one. A man and a woman are joined together. This is what the Bible says. I know culture is trying to redefine this. I get it. And I respect them, but I'm not interested in cultural relevance. I'm interested in biblical relevance. And I believe a lot of you are too. Now watch this verse 25. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. This is amazing. They felt no shame being together. They felt no shame dreaming together. They felt no shame working together. They felt no shame discussing things together. They felt no shame working things out. Evidently, all relationships are work, and evidently they had to work some things out too. But notice, they felt no shame in working things out. And I got to just tell you, when we can get the shame thing out of the equation, it's amazing how relationships can be way more whole. Come on, somebody. So it wasn't perfect, but I'm sure they were working it out, but they were doing it without shame. Isn't that beautiful? Now, I want to read something to you out of, out, of, out of some of my research that I found. And now this, I'm going to read this to you. And this comes from the Department of Anthropology at Calcutta University. It was a study that was done about the nuclear family. I just showed you God's idea for marriage. I showed you, just showed you how God put it all together. Okay. And, and we already talked about how there's our cultures trying to attack, right? marriage and nuclear family. Look what this university studies. This is so awesome. Marriage is considered the oldest and the most fundamental human institution. Marriage is an institution that often results in family. A nuclear family consists of parents and their natural or adopted children. And this structure describes most families in industrial societies. And industrial societies is one like we live in today or like in, in, in where the world is today, where, where there are democratic uh, governments, where there are economies, right? The term nuclear, elementary, or simple family refers to a group comprised of a man and a woman living in a socially approved sexual relationship with their own or adopted children. It's the familiar unit of, listen to this, mother, father, and children. Not only is the family a universal institution, but a specific form of the family, the nuclear family, is found in all known societies. Nuclear family. Isn't this awesome? And it's originated with God. Marriage and family 
is God's idea. Now notice what it goes on to say here too. The family plays a crucial role for personality, formation, and socialization of every individual. While the basic function of the family remains the same all over the world, scholars have noted certain modifications and variations among different societies across time and space. In the age-old war between the sexes and between generations, the introduction of a new ideology plays a crucial role in the family formation. What is he saying here? He's saying, he's saying time, generations, ideologies have challenged the meaning of the nuclear family. We're in one right now. Right now, you know it as well as I do. There is an organization that everybody knows about. And right there in their bold declaration in their, on their website is the destruction of the nuclear family. Culture is trying to destroy the nuclear family, the nuclear family that started with God and in his creation. And friends, I just want you to know something. That's the purpose of this series. This series is to bring light to this. This series is to help us to understand what is in the mind of God for your life and for my life as believers in Jesus. And it's time to say, you know something, this is the heart of God. And it's time that we stand up for what we believe in. If we don't stand up for what we believe in, if we don't reclaim this, then we will be pushed over. We will be plowed over. But I'm telling you, I just believe a fire is being, being ignited in people all around the world about this very topic right here. Now, here's the deal. We don't want to vilify people who have a differing opinion from us. And I want you to understand that. We don't want to do that. Here's what we want to do. I want to show the light of what biblical marriage is really all about. I want to show you through the word of God and through scripture what it's really supposed to be. And when the light of biblical marriage, when the light of what a nuclear family is really supposed to be and the goodness on it and the production on it and the love that's in it and the grace of God that's in it, I believe that light will be so bright that culture would literally say, I want that more than the destruction of that. And that's what reclaim is all about. Re let's reclaim the biblical meaning of marriage. Let's reclaim what's in the heart of God what, in terms of what marriage and family is all about. So here's the deal. We're not going to stoop to the level that everybody else can. When You know that, that feeling is like when someone tries to impose their belief on you and, and they're in charge and they're, gonna, they're in large in charge and they're going to push themselves on you. It, that's kind of what's happening in some circles, right? That's not what I'm talking about that we should be doing as believers in Jesus. As believers in Jesus and as believers in the Word of God, we should stand Stand up rightfully and in the light of the Holy Spirit and in our understanding of the word of God and just say, I know that's what you believe and I respect that that's what you believe. But as for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to stick with what the nuclear family is here by God's mind. I'm going to stick with God's definition of what marriage is supposed to be between man and a woman. And I'm going to ask you to respect my opinion like I should respect your opinion. And that's where we are today. And Reclaim is all about equipping you about what the Word of God says. And it's okay. Listen, it's okay to stand up and say, I believe in that. And I'm willing to stand with that. And I'm willing to be counted. Come on. Is anybody out there hanging out with me? Anybody out here driving with me and what I'm saying right here? Okay. All right. So now today I want to talk about reclaiming marriage. I want to talk about Going further, what does the Word of God say about marriage? What does the Word of God say a, a successful marriage is? We already know it's in the mind of God. We already know how God put the man and the woman together. Come on, I want you to write these scriptures down. Just go with me. We're going to go through this quickly, all right? Let's reclaim marriage today. Come on, let's reclaim it. If you're watching today and you're wanting to get married, I'm telling you, I hope I'm equipping you. I'm, I'm, I'm helping you to gain understanding and preparing you, especially maybe you, you were divorced and you come out of a bad situation, okay? Here's the deal. Let's reclaim that that new situation. If you want to remarry, it can be done in God's way. It can be done in God's eyes. It can be done according to the word of God. All right, don't let that past failure uh, dictate your future success, all right? Because the word of God is here for you today. Look what this word says here in Proverbs 18, 22. Notice what it says. It says, 
He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Come on, somebody. This is in God's mind that when a man and a woman come together, it is fine in God's eyes and there is favor that's connected to it. All right. Look at Proverbs 19, 14. House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Isn't this beautiful? So what he's saying, a prudent wife, a woman that really understands what God created is more important than wealth. It's more important than, than inheritance. It's more important than anything. Why? When you're humming with somebody that you're supposed to be with, somebody that you're suited for, okay, it is amazing the kind of the kind of production and the kind of accomplishments that you can make when you're well suited for each other. Second Corinthians 6, 14 says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness. This speaks to what God was saying back to being suited for each other. We have to be yoked together. We have to believe together. We have to have the same outlook in spiritual things. We have to have the same outlook on biblical things. If one person has a biblical understanding of marriage and another person has a non-biblical understanding of marriage, the chances of them being success, successful are not going to be very good. All right? But when, when we all gain this understanding, when we reclaim the understanding of biblical marriage like we're talking about right now, our chances for success go up. Come on, are you all with me? Look what the scripture says here in Ephesians 5, 25 to 33. We're going to read this nice and slow. For husbands, this means love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave himself up for her. I have to tell you right here, husbands, guys, when you give yourself up for her, it's the same way that Jesus gave himself up for you and I, the church, all right? And to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. And in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. Isn't that beautiful? I'm going to read this to you in the Message Bible in a second. But just let me finish this up here. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. And we are all members of this body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. This is God's biblical meaning of marriage. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. I'm going to tell you what is a great mystery. Here's another thing that's a great mystery. We're talking about being suitable for each other. A man thinks in blocks. A woman thinks in flowers. And it is a great mystery how God could take a man who thinks in blocks and how a woman who thinks in flowers and put them together and they can be successful together. Come on, somebody. All right. We see things in white. I need white spaces. You know, my wife will tell you, you got to speak to Dino in bullet points and white spaces. Okay. I, I, too many details. I, I get lost in all the details, but she likes the detail. So whenever we're having conversations, I need more detail. I need more detail. I'm like, I've just used up all my words. I have no more words left to give you. Okay. So she's thinking in flowers in more detail. I'm just thinking bullet, bullet, bullet. And somehow this thing called marriage under God, when we inject God into the equation, it works out. It's a mystery and it's beautiful and it's successful. It has a love of God in it. It has a light of God in it. It has the power of God in it. It has multiplication. It has purpose. It has destiny. This is the will of God, you guys. All right. Watch this. It's a huge mystery. And I don't pretend, no, no, wait a second. It's a, if a man leaves his mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. It is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Friends, I believe this is the reason why the devil hates marriage. 
This is the reason why the devil hates the biblical meaning of marriage. This is the reason why there's this destruction of the nuclear family that is out here today in culture. Why? Because it is an illustration of the way God, an illustration of the way Jesus loves you. I said this before. When a common woman marries a prince, she's no longer a common woman. By way of marriage, she is now a princess. She may not have had the right education. She may not have been born in the right family. She may not even been born into the right sphere or the right timing of things. But by way of this marriage, she goes from being a commoner to being a princess. And all she had to do was marry the prince. And that's what happened, you guys, when you and I received Jesus. We went from being lost, broke, uh, uh, insignificant, poor, sick. We went from all of that separated from God, not, no hope in sight, living aimlessly, wandering around like a ship without a rudder. We went from that to marrying Jesus, becoming a Christian, becoming born again, becoming one with Jesus, coming into the family of God by no work outside of just simply saying, I'm receiving you, Jesus, as my Savior. And when you do that, bam, you come into the family of God, apart from your education, apart from your income, apart from your failure, apart from any kind of rejection, apart from what anybody else would deem that you aren't worthy enough, you come into the family of God. And God says at that point, you are worthy. God says you are acceptable. God says you are my beloved. God says you're alive. God says you will sit with me here in heavenly places for the rest of your life. And it had nothing to do with you. It had everything to do with what Jesus did for us us. This is why the enemy hates marriage. So biblical marriage, this is the reason why the enemy hates the nuclear family so much. Every time, see, every time the enemy sees a successful marriage, he is reminded of Jesus' love for this church. He is reminded of Jesus' love for you. He is reminded of Jesus' unconditional and unchanging and unwavering love for you. That's the reason why the enemy hates marriage so much. Uh, but I believe I'm talking to some people who are willing to take a stand. I'm talking to some people who are willing to reclaim a few things, who are willing to stand up and say, huh, huh. I'm not going with culture on this one. I'm going to go with the Bible on this one. I'm willing to stand up and be counted and reclaim what God says about biblical marriage. Look what the Message Bible says of this, this, the same passage of Scripture. It says this, Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving not getting. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus gave himself. He gave himself. And that needs to be our attitude in biblical marriage. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and he says is designed to bring the best out of her. Did you know that? It is Jesus' mission in his life and his eternal life is to bring the best out of you. And when we practice bringing the best out of each other in biblical marriage, light hits that marriage and everybody wants that. I'm telling you, when that happens, culture will abandon this notion of the destruction of nuclear family and say, this is way better. But there hasn't been enough of this out here. And my goal is to teach this and put this out here and help us to understand that it's obtainable and it is waiting for you. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. That's so beautiful. No one abuses his own body, does he? No, he feeds and pampers it. That's how Christ treats us. Oh, let this sink in. The church, since we are part of his body, and this is why a man leaves the father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer two, they become one flesh. This is a huge mystery, and I don't pretend to understand it all, 
But what is clearest to me is this is the way Christ treats the church. And this provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife, loving himself in loving her, and how each wife is to honor her husband. Isn't this beautiful, you guys? This is God's method. When we inject God into the equation of marriage, when we inject God into the equation, especially of biblical marriage, a powerful force is a result. A powerful force is a result. When we can include God at the heart of our marriage, it's amazing what can happen. And the results actually speak for themselves. Before, before, we, before I, I, I give you one of the greatest how-tos to equip you in, in relating to each other in biblical marriage, and even if you're not married, I'm telling you, this how-to is amazing. I want to read to you something that I found uh, from the Heritage Foundation. Let's read the scripture first before, before I read this. 1 Peter 3, 7 says this. Come on, let's read this first, and then I'm going to read what the Heritage Foundation um, says about biblical marriage and what happens when we inject God into the equations. 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them. Dwell with who? Dwell with your wife, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel. Man, so much has been misunderstood about what this weaker vessel is. All that really means is, is that it doesn't mean she's weak uh, in mind or weak in spirit. It does mean she's weak physically, the way the way men and, and women are created. So really the idea here is she's the more expensive vessel. She's the more dainty vessel, right? She's like fine china. You just don't throw fine china around. You have to handle fine china properly, all right? That's what this is saying here. And maybe you guys, you don't understand fine china. Or maybe you understand that fine car you might have in your garage. Maybe it's an Alfa Romero, or maybe it's an Audi Quattro, or, or maybe it's a Ferrari, okay? Whatever it is, okay? You know as well as I do, you treat that car fine. You're careful about who gets in it. You're careful about how you put gas in it. You're careful about the way it's parked in your garage, okay? That's what this is referring to. The woman is, 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 is not weak mentally or spiritually, but weaker in terms of she is finer. She's more daintier. That's what that means. She's more expensive. Come on, somebody. And I know a lot of guys out there just say, amen, pastor. I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay. All right. So she's the weaker vessel. And watch this. And being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. So this is telling us that when we get along, and when we get, when we understand, the grace of life comes on us. This is biblical marriage, you guys. The grace of life. What is great? Grace is God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. So this means that you will be in a situation in your marriage or in your relationship where the grace of life is available to you. You're at a hard spot. You're at a communication spot. Or you're, you're at an impasse a disagreement, a hurt, a rejection in your relationship, when you understand this, how to tap into the grace of God, God doing for you what you cannot do for yourself, it will change everything. I'm going to talk about that in, in a minute. All right. First of all, I want you to see this. That's the goal. The goal for biblical marriage is that the grace of God would flow through us. All right. And the goal is that our prayers wouldn't be hindered. Now, now, that doesn't mean that because you get into a tiff with your spouse or a sharp disagreement that all of a sudden God doesn't answer your prayer. God answers prayer. But what this means, and I know a lot of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about, is that when you get into an issue, when you get into a disagreement with somebody, even, even your spouse, it can be just about anybody, all that inner turmoil that you experience on the inside, it prevents you from hearing or from seeing or from taking the next step that you have to for your life. All that turmoil, all that, all that junk that's going on. I know every time in my life, with, with, in my own relationship with Jeannie, whenever we've had spirited conversations about something, we don't fight. We have spirited conversations. Come on, somebody. All right. But in those moments, I know something's unsettled inside of me. And it's harder for me to see clear and to think clear. That's what this means. That's the reason why it's so important 
to make sure that we get our stuff together and we live in the grace of this life like this scripture promises us. So really what this, what this is telling us is injecting God into the equation. And when we're talking about injecting God into the equation, understanding what biblical marriage is and what biblical marriage isn't, understanding the difference between biblical marriage and cultural marriage, and we begin to inject God into the equation, success will be the result. So, because to dwell with each other with understanding, it's not that I have to spend my whole life understanding genie only, but this is actually a mutual understanding. See, that's where the grace of life works. It's a mutual understanding. I'm mutually understanding her. She's mutually understanding me. And we're going into this relationship knowing how we're wired, that sometimes I need help seeing things and sometimes she sees too many things, okay? And so knowing that, this, that we're wired this way, we mutually understand. And now we go into this receiving the grace of this life. I'm going to talk about that in a second. I want to read to you something the Heritage Foundation said. This is really good about marriage. Injecting God into the equation. This is so good. All right. Uh, divorce. This is what the Heritage Foundation says. When you start to inject God into the equation. All right. Uh, let me start. Let me, let me read this one first. Numerous sociological studies have shown that valuing religion or injecting God into the equation and regularly practicing it are associated with greater marital stability, higher levels of marital satisfaction, and increased likelihood that an individual will be inclined to marry. Christopher Ellison of the University of Texas at Austin and his colleagues found that couples who are acknowledged who, who acknowledge a divine purpose in their marriage were likely to collaborate, have greater marital adjustment, and to perceive more benefits from marriage and were less likely to use aggression or to come to a stalemate in their disagreements. Isn't that awesome? There's a higher power. There's a higher purpose. We're injecting God into the equation, all right? Early research found that couples whose marriages lasted 30 years or more reported that their faith helped them to deal with difficult times, was a source of moral guidance in making decisions and dealing with conflict, and encouraged them to maintain their commitment to their marriage. That's what happens when you inject God into the equation. Dwell with them with understanding. Walk in the grace of this life. Understand God's meaning for marriage, his biblical meaning for marriage, all right? Some of you are watching and you're saying, man, we didn't do this and, and I feel so bad. Listen, there's redemption. Don't get into condemnation. There's a victory on the other side of this, okay? All right, divorce. Listen to this. Four of every 10 children experience parental divorce, but a link between religious practice and a decreased likelihood of divorce has been established in numerous studies. Women who are more religious are less likely to experience divorce or separation than their less religious peers. Marriages in which both spouses attend religious services frequently, listen to this, are 2.4 times less likely to end in divorce than marriages in which neither spouse worships. This is crazy. When you inject God into the equation, we begin to live in the grace of life that God has intended for marriage. Friends, this is why reclaiming marriage is so important. I'm not interested in reclaiming the world's idea of marriage. I'm interested in reclaiming God's idea of marriage. I'm interested in understanding what is available to me in my marriage. And I know you guys want that too. And again, if you're single, this is what you go for. This is what you prepare for. And I'm telling you, this is what God has for you. Listen to this last one. Marital harmony and satisfaction. The practice of religion not only stabilizes marriage. So when you inject God into the equation, when you inject God and you do it his way and you do it, you know, and you're inviting the Holy Spirit in, okay, it stabilizes marriage, but also improves its quality. Brad Wilcox of the University of Virginia found that the more frequently husbands attended religious services, 
the happier their wives said they were with the level of affection and understanding that they received and the amount of time that their husbands spent with them. Earlier research had shown that the more frequently couples engaged in religious practice, the more they were satisfied in their marriage. Come on. I'm talking about injecting God into the equation, doing it the way God intended it to be done, reclaiming marriage the way God intended it to be, all right? Um, earlier, research had shown that more frequently couples engaged in, in religious practice, the more they were satisfied with their marriages. 60% who attended religious services at least monthly perceived that their marriages as very satisfactory. A 1977 study indicated a link between religious practice, inserting God, religious practice, and marital sexuality. Very religious women had greater satisfaction in sexual intercourse with their husbands than did moderately religious or non-religious women. What does that mean? Guys, get your wives to church. Spend time with God. Inject God into the equation. Put God in the center of your marriage. Understand what God's idea of marriage is. Understand its biblical meaning. Understand the success you can have when we begin to inject God into the equation. When you inject God into the equation of your marriage, you can step into the grace of life like that scripture promises. Let's read that scripture again one more time. Let's read it one more time. 1 Peter 3, 7. Notice it says, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding. Mutual understanding here. Giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, the more expensive vessel. And being heirs together. What does an heir do? An heir has an inheritance. There is something that an heir gets. All right, we are joint heirs with Jesus. And when you, if you are a joint heir with Jesus individually, when you're married and you bring your spouse and the, the two of you guys become joint heirs, there is power in this mix. If one can put a thousand to flight, two can put ten thousand to flight. That's what this is talking about. Joint heirs together of the grace of life. Grace, God doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. I want you to see this. And this really helped me when I started to understand this. See, what does it mean to live in the grace of God? See, if you look at this from this standpoint, that if grace equals supply, God is supplying his love to us. God is supplying his approval of us. God is supplying his acceptance of us every day. His mercies are new every day, the Bible says. So if we see grace as his supply, his supply, all right? Law, okay, equals demand. The law demands something of you. It wants to take something from you. It wants to make you do something. It, want, it says that you're not good enough, so you need to work harder. You need to earn more. You need to do more. You need to be more. See, that's what law says. But grace says, God's my supply. I'm accepted. I'm his beloved. I'm, I'm seated with him. He loves me with an unchanging love. There's a supply that comes from God. So when we talk about living in the grace of life, what if I told you it was possible that every single day in the middle of your challenges, that you can look at the challenge, the legitimate challenges that we all have when it comes to paying our bills, when it comes to parenting, when it comes to the disagreements we might have, when it comes to uh, saying, hey, I don't have enough time to get something done or, or I, I feel stretched, I'm tired. Right? I know you have needs, but I'm too tired to meet that need or, or I'm too insensitive to meet that need. Boss is putting more pressure on you. There's all kinds of stuff that's being piled on top of you like all of us are feeling or our culture's trying to put pressure on you to be something or to change and something inside of you doesn't understand. Those are legitimate pressures, right? In the middle of that pressure, especially in your marital relationship, I'm talking about the biblical version of marital relationship in the middle of that pressure, you can say, God, I'm tapping into your supply. I don't know how we're going to get through this disagreement, but I'm trusting in your grace. I don't know how we're going to, I'm going to get through this, this impasse, but I'm trusting in your supply. I'm living in your supply. Your supply can fix this rejection. Your supply 
can fix this impasse. Your supply can fix the feelings of hurt. Your supply can fix everything that I'm facing right now in my relationship. And watch this. When he's doing that, and when she's doing that, and when both husband and wife are pulling on God's supply, and when they're doing that together, they're doing this, they're injecting God into the equation, they're injecting God into the middle of their relationship, a powerful force is a result. And maybe you're watching today, you know, I know I've said a lot today, I get it, and I'm sure I'm gonna hear about this from my team, and, uh, and I might even, might even get an email from you guys. I got a chuckle from those guys, okay? But here's the deal. I feel like this is so important today. I know the things we've talked about is so important, especially because of the pressure that culture is putting on us. I really believe that if we could turn on the light of what God really meant for marriage, His way, doing it His way, I just believe culture would abandon the whole idea of changing what God God really wants for us. Maybe you're watching today and you're going through divorce. Maybe you've been divorced. I want you to know something. God's for you. And life goes on after divorce. There is life after divorce. I hope you hear me when I say that. And you know why? Because I know the Bible tells me that God is a redeemer. He's a redeemer of time. Whatever station that you might find yourself in, I am telling you, God will meet you right where you're at. He's not interested in you living in a pool of pity or a pool of hurt. No, he's not what he is. He's interested in you tapping into his supply. Tap into his supply right now. Come on, can you just do this right now if you're watching? Tap into his supply. Tap into his supply for your marriage where it is right now. Maybe you're in a rocky place in your relationship. Tap into his supply. Maybe you're watching and you've told yourself you will never get married again or you never will get married. Tap into his supply. Tap into his supply. Understand for yourself the beautiful uh, institution that God has waiting for you. Tap into his supply. Believe it. Receive it. Walk in his supply. Don't walk in the culture. Culture demands, demands, demands. The law demands, demands. But the supply of God, the grace of God is saying, I love you. I've accepted you. I'm, I'm for you, not against you. We're going to do this together. I'm going to carry you through this together. I'm going to help you become everything you need to be for yourself. And you're, I'm going to help you to become everything you need to be for that person when he comes into your life. That's what supply means. Come on, just receive that today and believe that God is going to do something special. And you know, I want to pray for the marriages out there today. I just believe that God will do something significant in your relationship, especially if you're at an impasse. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every person who's struggling in their marital relationship today. I ask, Lord God, for your supply to be exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond all they could ever ask or think. Restore hope. Restore that love that's been lost, Lord. Restore understanding. Let the grace of life come upon those marriages today in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And maybe you're watching today and you're saying, you know what, Pastor Dino, I really want to get married and I really want to fix some things in my marriage, <clears throat> but you don't know Jesus. You've heard of him. You've never come to the place where you said you're going to put your faith in him. That really is the beginning of understanding biblical marriage, is understanding how to put your faith in Jesus. And if you've never put your faith in Jesus, I want to pray with you right now. It will be the beginning of something so spectacular in your life. Like it was in my life, it was a whole new understanding of life, a whole new understanding of walking with God, a whole new understanding of how to treat women, a whole new understanding of what marriage really was that day when I first became born again. A correction started to take place inside of me. I started to sense God's love for me, burdens being lifted, but He loved me just the way that I was. And I, it started me on a path of development to where I am right 
now today, being happily married for 21 years. Now, I'm happily married. I don't know what she would say, but I know I'm happily married. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just messing with you guys. And God has the same thing for you too. So have you never put your faith in Christ? I want to lead you right now. Come on, just pray a simple prayer just like this. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I want you to reclaim me. I want to receive you as my Lord and Savior. I want to walk all that you have for me. I want to be all that you have for me. I receive you today as my personal Savior. I believe you are the Son of God and you are my Lord today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.